there is another dimension beyond anything you've known before. A world of ideals that are as vast in their significance as they are in their application. You are traveling into another reality, a world that lies between imagination and the touch points of everyday life. A wondrous kingdom whose boundaries are supernatural. You're entering a parallel world. by doing something a little bit different. Uh, this may strike you as kind of, um, well, morbid uh, and, and maybe inappropriate for church, uh, but I do have a point. I really do. So just kind of give me a little extra grace today. You'll see why in a little bit. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your uh, bulletin or maybe grab, start a note file on your phone for people who are watching online. You can you know, grab a piece of scrap paper or a different device or something. And, and, and write just a quick list of three names, and I want you to write the names of three famous people that you think will probably die this year. I know it's weird, it's just, it's bizarre, but just kind of go with me for a second, okay? So three famous people that you think might probably die within, like, these are people that you would have heard of, these are like, if, like, when they die, it'll be on CNN, it'll be on Fox, it'll be on the news in the evening, like, hey, so-and-so passed away, okay? Now, these are not three people that you wish would die. <laughs> Might be a different list, maybe the same list, I don't know, all right? But a list of three famous people, uh, you know, and th this is not like, you know, my brother-in-law and my wife's stupid dog, like, not, not that, okay? Um, a list of people that you think might die. So real quick, write that down, okay? <laughs> All right. Give me just a second more. You know, if you only come up with one, that's okay, right? Some of you are like, how old is the queen? Uh, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> just saying. She's old. Um, okay. So here's the thing. I want you to show your list to somebody. And it, like I said, these are famous people, so it would be real good if their name isn't on there, okay? Like, show your list to somebody. Who do you think might, you know, kick off this mortal coil uh, this year? Y'all are not excited about this, I can tell. You're like, church was okay, and then it got weird. Okay. All right, so here's the deal. What you just created is something called a, a death pool or a dead pool. Not that guy. Not him. That's the Marvel character, Deadpool. Um, basically, especially if you took this list and you bet on it, you bet real money. It's, it's, it's called a dead pool. And, and you basically make a list of people that you think might die and you bet, okay, like if anybody on your list dies, I'll give you 10 bucks for every one of them and if somebody on my list does it, 10 bucks or whatever. It's a thing. People do this. Um, now, it, it's a horribly morbid thing. I, I get it. I understand, okay? But you know what you will never find? Nobody ever puts their own name on that list. We don't. We don't do that because we just kind of have a problem reckoning with our own mortality in part. But I think also there's a warning from Jesus 
that it would be good if we listened to. And, and he gives that warning in our parable today. Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12, verse 13 is where we're going to begin. We've been for the last couple of weeks in a series on parables. It's called Parallel Worlds. Because Jesus, when he tells these parables, he creates kind of an alternate reality. Now, last week, Fred gave you the classic definition of parables. You've probably heard this before, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's true. That's a good definition. But I think that there's something missing from that. And I, I, I would be so bold as to add to that classic definition. Because the missing piece is that they're subversive. It's an earthly story with a heavenly subversive meaning. Parables subvert reality. They, they take everything we know and that's familiar, and you've had this experience, right? You're reading the story, and all of a sudden, it just hangs aright. Like, what happened there? It's this really, really, really strange thing. And you can tell as you're reading parables, like, where's the point? What's Jesus trying to say? Usually, it's the point where the story just kind of veers off, and like, that's weird, and today's parable is, is no exception. It really does feel like an episode of the Twilight Zone, right? It, it's strange. The specifics of it are strange. The application, though, I think, has never been more appropriate. Let me give you a little background. This is part of a triad of parables where Jesus is trying to get people's hearts ready for judgment day. He's, he's preparing them. He's teaching to a crowd of thousands of people, and then this happens. Look with me at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd, this is a big crowd, said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, meaning the crowd, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So what do you do with a story like that? Well, I think you can do one of three things. You can, first of all, you can dismiss it as not applicable. You're like, I'm not a rich landowner. I don't have lots of fields with lots of grain and a big... You know, that's not me, so this doesn't apply. Or, or you could dismiss it as not understandable. You could be like, this is weird. I don't even get this at all. Like, what in the world, Jesus? What? This is just bizarre. And you could walk away. Or you could accept it as not comfortable, which is, I think, what we need to do. You could accept it as just not comfortable. George MacDonald once said, no indulgence of passion destroys the spiritual nature so much as respectable selfishness. Now, MacDonald, I don't know if you know this, was an influence on C.S. Lewis. Lewis regarded MacDonald as a mentor. 
Um, so if you've ever felt kicked in the teeth by C.S. Lewis, just understand he got kicked in the teeth by George MacDonald. And this, I was just, I read this quote this week and I was just undone. Respectable selfishness. The parable forces us to confront our respectable selfishness. See, I don't know about you, I, I watch the news and, and I see the, the stories out of, you know, Ukraine right now and I have two thoughts that go through my head simultaneously, right? And the one is the thought that I can say publicly and the other one is the thought that I sure hope no one hears. Because the one thought is, those poor people. And the other thought that I would never say is, sure glad it's not me. You identify? When you see tragedy on the news, your first thought is, oh, those, those poor people. And then the thought that you're never actually going to say out loud is, glad that's not me. It's what McDonald calls respectable selfishness. Here in the West, we have cultivated this level of respectable selfishness. It's certainly not celebrated or praised, but it's kind of just accepted and overlooked as part of being human. And I think God wants something more out of us. I think Jesus is calling us to something higher and greater in this parable, and so he gives us this warning. Let me just walk back through the text and note a couple important things before we talk about this warning. There are two parts to this. It's a two-part warning. All right, in verse 13, it says that, you know, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in Middle Eastern culture, it's considered praiseworthy, it's commendable for two brothers to decide, you know what, let's not break up our father's land and you take your part and I'll take my part. Let's just farm it together. We'll just share a home, we'll add on a couple rooms if we need to. Let's just live together. It's why Psalm 133 says, it's a blessing when brothers live together in unity right? It's that idea. It's considered culturally, it was considered a blessing. It was praiseworthy for brothers not to divide the inheritance, but to stay together. This guy, he's greedy, right? And you can tell Jesus is a little bit upset here because he addresses him as man, right? Now, Jesus is not a surfer dude, right? Because like, we read this and we go, say, hey, man, like, no, that's not that's not the tone here, okay? This is like, like my generation calls everybody dude. Like, dude. Like, you know, or, or my kid's generation, it's bruh, right? B-R-U-H. It's not even a word, guys. Um, bruh. It's not what Jesus is doing here. The use of the word man indicates uh, some displeasure, all right? And he's not, he's not frustrated at the interruption to his teaching, People interrupted Jesus all the time. He tended to use those as springboards into something cool. He's, he's frustrated at the guy's attitude because he can read his heart, right? And so he says this parable, right, verse 16. He told them this parable. The parable is in direct response to what the guy said. It is a rebuke, pure and simple. Jesus is frustrated by the guy's attitude and he tells the story to rebuke him, Okay? And here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 17. He says, he thought to himself, right? He only weighs this important decision with himself. Now here, for us, in America, in Western culture, in the 21st century, we hear that and we go, oh, well, yeah. 
They didn't do that that way back then. They were much more communal. They, much more, like you, you would go to the town elders and you would talk to them about it. You would go to the other farmers in the area and you would talk to them about it. And, and we're a little bit insulated from that here living in the city. I've told you before that I spent most of my ministry years in, in pretty rural agricultural places early on. And here's the, like, if you want to grow something weird in your crop, I mean, it's your land. You can do whatever you want if you want to grow something strange in your fields. But generally, it's considered polite to, like, go down to the local co-op and go, hey, thinking about going kale. What do you guys think? And once they pick themselves off off the floor from laughing, they'd be like, I don't know, man. This is better for, you know, corn and beans. This is better ground. Um, right? So this guy, he's just, he's completely, it's just him. He's, he's only maintaining his own counsel. And he pretends to be distressed, right? He pretends, like, I got this problem. What am I going to do? Oh, no, I've got all this extra grain. What am I going to do? He's faking. He's faking it. He's not really upset by this. He's not really frustrated by this. He's pretending because he's already made up his mind about what he wants to do. Do you know anyone who does this? They act like they got a big problem so they can do what they want? Right? We live in a culture where it's considered a virtue to be offended. I'm offended. Okay. <laughs> Nothing happens. But I'm offended. Okay. I, so? But, but I, I'm, this, is, this deeply disturbs me. And well, I'm going to do this. You already wanted to do that. <laughs> you just want to pretend like you're offended to be justified. And I, I think that that's, that's what's going on here, right? In the agricultural traditions of the Middle East, you, you don't do what this guy was planning without talking to the village elders, without talking to the other farmers. And, and you can tell he's not seeking outside wisdom because he says, I've got all I need for years. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. Does that sound familiar? Well, if you've read Ecclesiastes lately, it would. Because the wisest man who ever lived did this life experiment. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to please myself with pleasure. And I'm going to get every, just get everything I want. And I'm going to eat. And I'm going to drink. And I'm going to be merry. And you know what his conclusion was? That's meaningless. It's like trying to bottle the wind. You, it's pointless. And then Jesus says at the end of the parable, he's basically this is how it's going to be. What happens to this guy is the same thing that's going to happen to you if you try to store up things for yourself but aren't rich toward God. It's his authoritative word on the parable. He doesn't always interpret his parables, but he does this one. He tells us, and it agrees with the same thing he said in, in straight teaching in Matthew's gospel, that getting rich at the expense of your soul is useless. In Matthew, Jesus says, what good does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So... What's, what's this mean for us? Because, like, I'm not a rich landowner. I don't have giant barns full of grain. I, what's this mean for us? Well, it's a warning. Jesus is like, listen, there's, there's, a, there's a dead pool out there, and if you're not careful, your name might end up on it. And, and he gives us a two-part warning. Here's the first part. He said you need to be vigilant against selfishness. Vigilant, watchful against selfishness. Jesus says, watch out, in verse 15. He's saying, be on your guard. Be vigilant against any selfishness that might spring up in our lives. And we are all selfish. If you're going to sit here and tell me you're not selfish, then, you know, you're lying in church. That's even worse. <laughs> don't, 
Don't lie. Anywhere. But um, we're, we're all selfish, right? You don't have to, I've said this before, you don't have to give kids selfishness lessons. It just comes natural, right? It's part of being broken. It's part of the fall. And so one of the ways that God chooses to deal with the selfishness in our lives is to give us someone who is infinitely more selfish to deal with. Babies. Right? Babies are not only the cutest things on the face of the earth, they are by far the most selfish. This is what Steve Farrar in his book Point Man talks about. He says, the way God deals with my own selfishness is to give me someone to serve who has zero interest in serving me. You can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Not too many people in the world could out-selfish me one-on-one, but every time we've had a baby, I met my match. (laughs) He said, each of my kids resembled me. I don't mean they look like me. I mean they were as selfish as me. And that meant that somebody in the family was going to have to grow up, and guess who got nominated? (laughs) Jesus' warning to this guy is to force him to deal with his selfishness. And you know what's terrifying? Jesus did this publicly. (laughs) Can you imagine if we did that here? Y'all be looking for a different church pretty fast, I bet. He called him out in front of a crowd of thousands of people. There are videos on YouTube, you can see where preachers do this, they literally call somebody out by name from the congregation, like, dude, see, I did it, dude. Um, here's the thing, we, we, we all want to pretend that our selfishness is hidden. No, no, it's not hidden. We all can see it. It's, it's, it's quite transparent. You want proof? I want you to think of the most selfish person you know. Don't say their name and do not point. All right? Think of the most selfish person you know. You know what's terrifying? Some, you, you might be the person someone else is thinking of right now. That's life. We're broken. We sin. Jesus' warning to us is to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Not just money. All kinds of selfishness. And in saying that, he prevents us from rationalizing our own selfishness. We decry the excesses of the rich and famous, and Jesus says, well, what about yours? I don't have any. Oh, really? Hmm. Now, listen, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to villainize wealth, right? Because you, you, you can be poor and selfish. You can serve in the community and be selfish. I'm not trying to villainize wealth. I'm issuing a warning against the pursuit of wealth or recognition or whatever solely out of selfishness. And taking that all kinds of greed language into account, we have to understand this is bigger than just money, right? You can be selfish with food. Little kids are selfish with toys. You've seen that happen probably. You can be selfish with your home. You can be selfish with recognition and status uh, in, in your work, in your career. Ultimately, the main aspect of The the man in the parable, selfishness is shown in how he thought to himself. In the original text, it it literally says he dialogued with himself. He didn't seek God's will. He didn't seek the counsel of the village elders. He had a a conversation with his own brain, and he came out on top. Huh, go figure. In the Greek text, when the man says in verse 13 to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The word me is in the emphatic form there. So, like, if you write in your Bible, underline that. Highlight it. With, tell, tell, tell my brother to, invite the, to divide the inheritance with me. 
I want mine. He's totally consumed with getting more for himself. See, Jesus tells the parable to try to get the guy's attention. I don't know, maybe you need to hear this today. It's our big idea this morning that life is about more than money. It's about community. Ultimately, community with God, but also community with others. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Kenneth Bailey wrote a wonderful book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. I don't know what your book budget is, but if you buy that book, you'll be richly blessed in your reading of the Gospels. In, in Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he says that nobody, nobody would have thought ill of this man if he would have gone up to Jesus and said, teacher, will you help my brother and I divide the inheritance fairly? Because this money is threatening to break my relationship with my brother, and that is unacceptable to me. My relationship matters too much. Help us divide the inheritance fairly so that I can preserve the relationship with my brother. And if he would have said that in a Middle Eastern context in the first century, Jesus would have pronounced a benediction on him. Jesus would have blessed him. He probably would have held him up as an example to the community to say, look, this is how you handle money. It is subservient to relationship. But because the guy was allowing selfishness to run his life, Jesus issues a warning to be vigilant, be watchful about the toxic effects of selfishness. But that's only half the warning. The other half is to be visionary about self-sacrifice. To be visionary about self-sacrifice. Bernard Rimland is the director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. He did a study on happiness and, and, and he said in, in the first line of his study, the happiest people are those who help others. He got these people involved in this study, and he said, I want you to write a list. I had you make a list of people's names. He said, make a list of people's names of the 10 happiest people that you know, or the 10 people, and rank them happy or not happy. And he said, okay, go back down through the list, and then rank them as selfish or not selfish. And you know what he found? Almost without exception, to, to an individual, the people that they ranked as happy were also noted as not selfish. And this conclusion was pretty simple. It's if you want to be happy, don't be selfish. And this was how he defined selfishness, a stable tendency or, or consistent tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare, an unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. And he just, he went down through the study and just, person by person by person by person, the, the happiest people were the least selfish. And the most miserable people were the most selfish. And it's kind of like, yeah, I seem to recall Jesus saying something like that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like, that was his, ultimately his conclusion. Like, yeah, we've, we've heard this before. Jesus is encouraging you. Part of the warning is, yes, you need to be vigilant against selfishness, but you also need to be visionary about self-sacrifice, to look for ways to serve others, to look for ways to invest in other people, to use whatever resources God has put in your hands. And may, yes, maybe that's money. Maybe that's a skill. Maybe that's time. Maybe that's uh, knowledge that you have that you could share to invest in other people. Be visionary. Look for opportunities that way. See, the parable is a negative example of what not to do, but for every negative warning in Scripture, there is generally a positive imperative of what we should do, or at least what we could do. We are affluent. You're like, I don't feel affluent. Have you seen the inflation rate lately? Okay. 
Yeah, I, I get it. Even so. I've told you this before. It probably bears repeating here. Do you understand that if you make more than $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of all global earners? You remember the, the recession, 07, 08, 09, that whole thing. People talked about the one percenters, right? Occupy Wall Street. Remember that whole deal, right? They talked about the 1%. Guess what? If you make more than 30 grand a year, that's you. Globally speaking. It's barely above the poverty line in America is in the top 1% to 3% globally. Listen to me, young people. Every day you wake up in this country, you just hit the lottery. You understand that? You know that? Old people, you too. You know that. You've been around a while. Every day in this country, you wake up in, this, in, in America, you, you are greatly blessed by God to be where you are when you are. So we, we're all affluent relative to the world, right? And, and as such, we have perfected the art of finding ways to enrich our, our own lives. We're good at it. Like I said, you don't have to give people selfishness lessons. It just comes natural. And so we watch the news and we see this crisis in Ukraine. And so we, we got to do something about this. We got to help. God has given us means. We have to help. And you have. Out of your giving, the, the, the missions team has dedicated $6,000 to go to TCM that they've given to pastors all over Europe who are helping refugees. And then we thought, you know what? We got all these old Chapel Rock t-shirts. They're just sitting there taking space. What if we sold them cheap and used the money and just gave it away? And we did that. And you guys pitched in 2400 bucks to get some old t-shirts to, to bless Ukrainian people who are you know, being dispersed all over Europe right now. Thank you for that. Eventually, prayerfully, we say, things in Ukraine will get sorted out. The giving will taper off. And you're like, really? You think so? Well, how many of you have stroked a check for victims of Hurricane Katrina lately? Right? Time passes and we forget. So I want to encourage you to be visionary in self-sacrifice, to look for ways to let go of self. Like, I'm, Casey, could you, what exactly does that even mean? Paul talks about this in one of his letters. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, be imitators of God. What's that? What? what, How? In the little devotional book, This Day with the Master by Dennis Kinlaw, uh, he he talks about this. In the reading for April 27th, he says, I was reading through Ephesians and I saw this verse, you know, the Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. And he was like, how in the world does a human being imitate God? He said, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So there have been some people in history who tried to be all-powerful, and they ended up like fools. He said, God is omniscient. He knows everything. He goes, my experience is not of increasing knowledge, but of increasing ignorance. Like, I, I learned something, and I, now I have 10 more questions. Like, he said, God is, is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. I'm limited to one place in space and one time in time. I, <laughs> I'm not, I, don't, I don't share those qualities He said, how in the world can I imitate God? He said, but then I looked at the rest of the passage, which says, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5.2. Dennis Kinlaw said, he goes, my laughter faded when I realized that God wants us to imitate his lifestyle, not his attributes. What Paul was telling the church to imitate was the life of love that issues in self-sacrifice modeled in the Lord Jesus. 
He goes, and then I found myself, I was not confronted with the attributes of God in the abstract, I was confronted with the cross of Christ. When Jesus poured out his life, when he died on the cross in our place for our sins. He said, that's what God is calling us to imitate, this life of self-sacrifice. Paul says that self-sacrificing love is a fragrant offering to God. It pleases God's nostrils. Some of you have had the experience of walking into home when uh, your spouse or grandma or whoever is cooking, right? And you walk in the door and, ah, you know, Sunday roast, right? Fresh baked bread, grandma's cinnamon rolls, whatever it is for you, I don't know. know? And you walk in the door. That's how God feels when we reject selfishness. And we live a life like Jesus lived of self-sacrifice. Oh, that's good. That's good. Paul believed that God can put his own love in us through the power of his spirit. You see, when you accepted Christ, when you acknowledged him as Savior and Lord and repented of your sins and were baptized, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And as the Holy Spirit lives inside you, God's love is now inside you, and you can express that to others as it just pours out of you. See, Jesus' parable is a warning to us that if we are visionary about self-sacrifice, we can take our name off eternity's deadpool. It is tragic to observe how in times of life and death crisis, money becomes totally worthless, right? I mean, what matters is like clean water, food, shelter, clothing, medicine, you know, friends you can count on. Your bank balance, it doesn't matter. Uh, A few weeks ago, at 1.30 in the morning, 30 miles below the Earth's surface, a quake measuring 6.1 on the Richter scale triggered a massive devastation in the Paktika province in Afghanistan. Anybody hear about this? A few people? Yeah? No, I, I didn't. It was, weeks went by before I heard about this. A thousand people died. 1,500 were injured in this earthquake. I had no idea until just this. I heard about this week. This, this was like three or four weeks ago. Now, if we just, church, if we just showed up there, Chapel Rock, if we just showed up in the Paktika province of Asia, the city of Coast was, was badly damaged. If we showed up there and just started handing out dollars, <laughs> what do you think the reaction would be? Like, hey, thanks. Got any food? <laughs> you know, like I could really use some medicine right now. My house is this pile. You got, a, you got like a tent or something? Most importantly, because of where this is, you have Jesus. Can Jesus fix this? Because Muhammad's not doing anything. Allah hasn't shown up at all. Can Jesus fix this? See, what they need is for the world community, especially the church, (laughs) to embrace them selflessly. Do you know why Jesus pronounces a judgment on this guy in the parable? Do you understand why he says this? It's because it never even occurred to the guy 
that maybe what would solve his problem and bless his community and honor his God is if he said, hey, my barns are full. I should just give away the rest of this stuff. Never even occurred to him. I don't know, maybe Jesus is telling you the same thing today. Maybe you're here and you're like, my barns are full. Okay. Maybe the answer is not to build bigger barns. Maybe the answer is to bless your community. (laughs) This guy was selfish. And Jesus says, you fool, you will die tonight. Did you hear me? Life is about more than money. It's about community. First and foremost, community with God, right? Are you in a right relationship with God? Because I have a feeling if this guy in the parable were in a right relationship with God, he probably wouldn't have said what he said. So if you're here today and you're not, boy, do not leave without fixing that. And in just a second, you're going to have an opportunity to take a a step forward that way. We're going to stand and sing a song together. I'm going to invite you to come forward and name Christ as Savior and Lord. Reject your sin. Receive the Holy Spirit of God. Be baptized. Walk in discipleship. You could do that this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I I, I know that I need to do these things. I I want God to give me a vision for what that looks like. So maybe we'd love to partner with you in prayer. If God is calling you to something specific, we'd love to know and come alongside you to pray. I'm not sure how God's working in your heart. I I pray that that somebody first service was like, man, you stomped on my toes today. I said, Jesus has been doing it to me all week long. Welcome to the club. Maybe that's where you're at today and just going, all right, I need to root selfishness out of my life. That may be the decision that all of us need to make. I don't know. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together. And you respond as God leads you today. Let's sing.